Uh, so you're saying you are appreciative of my my wit, my humor, uh, charm, uh, charisma. Uh... <laughs> and that I, I... and that was the longest recorded silence on the podcast. It's uh, it it felt a little too quiet. I had to say, quite oh, so. Oh my gosh. Quite so. <laughs> Why? Listen, you know why. (laughs) You are listening to A Little Too Quiet, of course, the Ferndale Library podcast. It's brought to you by the friends of the Ferndale Library, and my name is Jeff, and I'm joined again by Mary Graham. Hi. And I'm joined by Roddy. Hello. And it's almost the end of Women's History Month. It is. Mm -hmm. And Roddy had a great idea. Listener, I just want you to know, and you probably know this already about me, just putting together context clues for all the things that I've said, is that there is nothing I support more than women's wrongs. And, you know, I just... I walked back to the youth department to just chat with Mary Graham, and we somehow got on the topic of women's wrongs. Well, it was International Women's Day, right? except in France, it's International Day of the Rights of Women. And so because Roddy and I support women's rights, we were discoursing <laughs> upon this at length. And then we said, well, of course we support women's rights, but you know what else we support? Women's wrongs. Yes. And women's right to be wrong. Yes. (laughs) Um, And so as soon as we said that, it was like a light bulb moment in which we both (laughs) tracked down Jeff, who looked very much like a deer in headlights. He was like, oh, God, you guys were talking again without a (laughs) microphone in front of you. Why do you keep doing this? This always happens, actually. It is. Well, in fact, last week he came back into youth because he heard Roddy talking to me at my desk and he came back into the youth office and held up his phone and he had hit record on his phone because he was like, finally, (laughs) finally, I caught them and I put a microphone in front of them. And I actually don't remember what we were talking about, but I'm sure it was great. (laughs) I'm positive it was great. I mean, having listened to our most recent podcast about allegories... I think we invented comedy, Roddy. You know, the goose that killed Julius Caesar. <laughs> yeah. And, and now what is the pig going to do? Is the pig going to kill someone? No. Now listen, <laughs> listener, for context, we just got a delivery of, of puppets. And we had a rooster, and now we have a pig. And Roddy can't handle it because she really, really loves pigs. Well, you the, could even hear it the in the pig, way her voice softened. The pig makes noise, dear listener. You give the little pig a hug, and it makes a very pleasant oink noise. Oink. It is so cute. Uh, it's I not might, going gets a proper snuffle. It, I might, <laughs> I might cry. <laughs> the only thing that could possibly like break me at this point, because I'm so close, is a bear puppet. Oh, because oh, I can't remember if we ordered a bear. Oh, we God. ordered uh, a bunny and a fox, both of whom came here today. If anyone's going to kill someone, it's going to be the fox. I I read Reynard. I did medieval literature. Sneaky like a fox. Now, I should go get that pig puppet so -hmm. that when I inevitably say another pun, I could just hold it up and maybe it'll be like some sort of... No, because I also have cuteness aggression. Oh, man. So you might just... I don't know. Okay, so (laughs) let's get back to the topic of women's wrongs. And I think I have a... I have a... I have a starter. I have something to get us going. When I looked online, I, I, I found that a lot of people wanted to talk more so about women anti-heroes, female anti-heroes. It must be exhausting. (laughs) (laughs) So when we're talking about women doing wrongs, are we, are we thinking about anti-heroes? Are we thinking about villains? Like, uh, let's, let's set these ground rules. What do we think our ground rules are? I, I have a lot of complex feelings because some of the women that I have in mind are technically villains. Like, where and, is Jane Eyre going to go? Well, so... Like, it's the Jane Eyre like, question. The beautiful thing about women's wrongs is that it covers the gamut because you have Lady Macbeth, mm-hmm. who, who I yeah. love. Go, girl. Give us everything. This give is- us blood. Give us, you know... I'd, on the one hand, you have Lady Macbeth. And on the other hand, like, I'd probably around the opposite end of the spectrum, you have Jane Eyre, which mm-hmm. is more along the lines of, girl, what are you doing? Right. 
but I love a good girl. What are you doing? And then in between there, you have the other characters that I'm going to talk about today, um, which includes uh, a thief in fantasy Germany who is very much an anti-hero and mm -hmm. is a little gremlin. And I love her so much. Mm -hmm. And then uh, also a queen in fantasy uh, Mediterranean Greece um, who perhaps is a little too slap happy about cutting off people's hands. Ooh. She, oh, yeah. You told, yeah. She's great. Is the queen <laughs> of my heart. So and I can't wait to talk about her. I didn't write that many notes, really. I have like a light list of names and then, you know, a couple of songs from a little musical known as Chicago. Oh, yes. Um, oh, this is. I kept thinking of two <laughs> things when this episode was coming around. I kept thinking of two things. Lady Macbeth and the phrase, he had it coming. You know, those were well, the see, Jeff, he ran into my knife. <laughs> he ran into my knife 10 times, that's, you know. But he had, a, he had it coming. You know, yeah. And also some men just can't take their arsenic. It just happens that <laughs> what, way. What, like it's my fault? God forbid women do anything. <laughs> so. So I, Lady Macbeth is on all of our lists. Obviously, yeah, oh, yeah. she's actually the first on mine. And then I guess for from the litigating literature episode, some people will recognize the name Clytemnestra. I don't necessarily need to go through the entire spiel again. But I have to say, if my husband told me that my daughter was getting married and then killed her in front of me, I too would spend the next 10 years plotting his murder. So. Naturally. Naturally. So that's all I got to say about her. I'm just saying. But I think I Is also it? wrote down the name Miranda Priestley, for example, mm -hmm. from the Devil Wars Prada. And the reason why I wrote her name down is that the internet has come around to Miranda Priestley, like. In a big I, way. I feel like every young girl or young person in general who watched the Devil Wars Prada grew up and were like, what were the adults doing about this movie? Because they got it totally wrong. Mm -hmm. Because I think that uh, what I wrote down, the only real note I have is that I think it's important to note that while most of these women are not capital V villains, they are often judged and castigated as such. And so that is... I feel like that is the umbrella that covers all of these women in their quote unquote mm -hmm. wrongs. I mean, no, people don't necessarily hate on Jane Eyre in terms of she's a villain, but they really disrespect her convictions. Mm -hmm. And that is the thing that I love most about her. Oh, so I love her. I love her so much. So, yeah, we're just we're, we got a lot to talk about. <laughs> Yes, yes, indeed. Indeed, we do. Uh, is there anything that's maybe we possibly have ever left unsaid about Lady Macbeth, who really has to, I mean, as I was hinting at, kind of has to start off the episode. That's. I mean, she's the epitome of do I have to do everything myself? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, and she also like, she's like the cooler, more badass version of Prince Humperdinck. Mm -hmm. I have my mm -hmm. wife to order a war with Gilder to start. I'm swamped. She's like, I've I've got a king to murder. I've got guards to blame it on. I've got my husband, Who's who I have to just useless panicking in a corner. Useless, useless. Yeah. So it's just like, do I have to do, to do everything, everything myself? And then on top of that, the soap isn't working. The like, soap is. What working? else can she do? <laughs> <laughs> and I and I think actually part of my affection for Lady Macbeth comes from the fact that. You feel like she doesn't, like, she doesn't even get a good death scene. Mm -mm. Just the queen, my lord, is dead. Mm -mm. Uh, she dies off stage. She gets the brilliant mad scene. Mm -hmm. But but she dies off stage as kind of an afterthought at the end, which is what makes her quite tragic to me. Oh, um, and so I don't know, just because of that, like, I'm like, no, oh, but I miss her. Isn't it there a mosquito spray called off? So yes. could we yes. get a laundry detergent just called out? <laughs> You um, also think it's the greatest idea. I am idea. delighted to report that Shakespeare's Globe sells bar soap. And it just... And it says out damn spot. Heck yeah. Okay. Yep. And yet another reason so, to go to the Globe. Jeff, if you ever find yourself needing another job, and uh, if anyone at Shakespeare's Globe, Michelle Terry, I know you're a big fan of the pod, please give us a call. Uh, if you ever need to hire someone, Jeff... Jeff Milo. I'll, I will, yeah, <laughs> just give you puns, basically, but I'll be helpful, I promise. Yeah. I think that... Lady Macbeth is one of my favorite early examples of a writer making a character that's just too good. So they're like, crap, I got to get rid of this character. Yeah, because he would never, Macbeth would never lose if she was still alive. Oh, are you kidding me? He would have everything together. He would be king. Everything would be great. Probably if she would unite the isle under Scottish rule 
And then where would we be? Exactly. And so Shakespeare is like, I got to kill her. I yeah. got to make her go, like, make her lose her wits. Yep. And I've got to get rid of her because yep. otherwise there is no story. She's otherwise she's good. like, I've girl boss too close to the sun. Exactly. Yep. And I mean, this is something that we see a lot in modern or just in storytelling in general, where it's like, oh, we got to kill this character off. I still have not watched Game of Thrones and I never will, but I'm told to understand that that is potentially the case with one of Ned Stark's sons. The eldest one, perhaps? Yes, Rob Stark. <laughs> I don't know his name. Sure. But yeah, but like that's something that I've heard most often from like, oh, he's just too good. They had to kill him. And I actually don't necessarily dislike this trope. I'm like, okay. I mean, yeah, let's see. Because you're right. This character would have everything in line. The problem for me is that it also... Those characters who have it together, who would have taken care of business, tend to be my favorite. So I have to deal with the like aftermath of like, uh, they did. They did. Are we going to talk about the Darth Maul elephant in the room? <laughs> That's what we were getting to. No. So we're getting off topic. Back to women. <laughs> Back so, to women. Um, here are... Dang it, can we not... It's, it's the end of women's history, but can we not have one podcast? <laughs> Some of the books I heard referenced when mm -hmm. I looked up anti-heroes or at least women that we support doing wrongs uh, contemporarily speaking uh, Gone Girl by Gillian Flynn yes uh, My Sister the Serial Killer oh that's a great oh, book oh that's one of my favorite books I'm not oh, even saying that I support I can't remember the characters names but I'm not even saying I support the little sisters wrongs but like as a book as a thriller oh I support the wrongs of the main character though. yes by Ayinkan Brathwaite yes great author I read that book and I immediately texted my sisters and told them that they had like a two body maximum for me. Like, I'll help you hide. Like, it's sort of a buy one, get one free situation. Uh -huh. But after that, like, we got other problems to sort out. <laughs> but everybody, so we read that book in my reader's advisory class in library school for our thriller section. Mm -hmm. Everybody, please go read My Sister the Serial Killer. Heck yeah. It's like, it'll take an afternoon. It's amazing. It's so quick. And the ending, one of my favorite endings of all time, oh, honestly. Yes. So, yeah. Sorry. This is going PSA. Also, Eileen by Otessa Moshbeg, which was her debut. I've mm -hmm. always wanted to read that book. I've always heard great things. And then Olive Kittredge by Elizabeth Strout, which is really one of my favorite books. But when you read the article, it's basically just saying, well, she's not afraid to be crabby. So we support that. No. So there's mm -hmm. a difference between women <laughs> who are human. Yes. Yeah. And women who do bad things. Exactly. Right. And right. this it's... is a show about women who do bad things. Exactly. Yes, indeed. Exactly. So who else do we want to talk about? Um, um, Bertha. Bertha is Mason. It's time for Bertha. It's time for Bertha Mason. Uh, if queen. we're going roughly in chronological order, yeah. right? Like we started with Lady Macbeth. Let's jump a couple hundred years to the 19th century. Oh, we also should. We miss Cleopatra then. Oh, yeah. That's true. Age cannot wither nor custom stale. Listen. Listen. Oh, Leave and the original himbo. Yes, Mark Antony. I love him. And I love them. And you know what? Himbo stinger. Power. Power. <laughs> couple. Power couple. <laughs> and we are specifically talking about the Shakespeare version. Uh, yes. Not and the historical people. Yeah. I mean, historical Mark Antony was also, is also a himbo. But anyway, but... more importantly, I, Cleopatra, Shakespeare's Cleopatra, love her. Love her. She honestly is probably the reason I love actual Cleopatra as much as I do, because let's talk about a girl boss right there. So smart. Genius. Gonna have a kid with this guy. Oh, he's dead. Well, guess who... I've just Guess who my new boy toy is? Exactly. Oh man, I actually like this boy toy a little too much. Oh man, oops. <sighs> like the thing that I love is that like hashtag girl boss on top of the world. She's also nuts. She's insane. Yeah, and I love her for it. Yeah, never done anything wrong. It's really fun. Like thinking about these, like the the women on my list. It's fun to watch women go insane. Mm hmm. Like. I, I think because deep deep in myself, I'm like, I too. Yeah. I too would like to do this. I too would like to be a horrible goose with a knife in my beak. Rage. Uh, also, I'm, you just said something that made me like actually think about the women on my list. And now I'm just like, oh, they're all just women in power. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, that's honestly what it comes down to, though, is like these women who are often castigated for these things are like, either women in power or women with very strong will, a la Jane Eyre. Um, 
you know, Bertha Mason marries a wealthy man, you know, has some freedoms in regard to that. And then, you know, some restrictions also in regard to that. But, you know, she's also just a free spirit, quite literally. And that makes her threatening. (laughs) It makes her threatening. And she's the wrong color to be English. Exactly. Which also makes her threatening. There was a really fantastic article, it's several years old at this point, on McSweeney's Internet Tendency uh, about women and fighting and about who would win in a fight, uh, Charlotte Bronte or Jane Austen. And the author concludes that it would be Jane Austen because Bronte would come at you fist swinging and Austen would stab you before you even knew she had a knife. Mm-hmm. Um, and and she talks about, she's like, you know, the, the villain, the sort of danger in... Jane Eyre comes from this foreign, dark, mm-hmm. mentally ill woman. And Jane Austen's antagonists are all charming, handsome men. Yeah. And she's like, statistically, in real life, the charming, handsome man who you know, who everybody likes, is going to be the person who hurts you. Um, and it's a very, very interesting article. I highly recommend it. But the thing that I find so interesting about Jane Eyre is that the the women whose wrongs I support. <laughs> it's like, I do support Bertha Mason burning down her home. Mm-hmm. Um, and I support Jane Eyre, like, leaving Rochester flat on his face and then also coming back and being like, surprise, I bet you thought you'd see the last of me. Exactly. Because Jane only does stuff that she wants to do. And I love her for that. Reading that at the age that I did, I think I read Jane Eyre for the first time in middle school. Mm. I was just like, oh, like I've said before, that became my personality or whatever. But honestly, it was just like, oh, here is a character so strong in her convictions. Yep. Regardless if people support them or not, she is going to do what she wants to do. I read it in 11th grade and it changed something in my brain. Like, maybe Jane Eyre is the reason why I say choose violence. Anyway. <laughs> um... Who else? <clears throat> um, well, I uh, when I spoke earlier about a queen in the fantasy Mediterranean who's a little slap happy about cutting off people's hands, it's actually not true. The queen of Atolia has never been slap happy about anything in her life. But I want to discuss the queen of Atolia from mm-hmm. the Queen's Thief series by Megan Wallen Turner, which got me out of the worst reading slump of my life in February of 2021, where I hadn't read many books for about six months because COVID, pandemic, stress nuked mm-hmm. my attention span so the the first book in the queen's thief series is about this this thief named eugenides and he is the the servant of the queen of his country Edis. it's a hereditary title and um it's basically like i said fantasy mediterranean a lot of small countries and he keeps sneaking in to other small countries to lie and do political machinations it's delightful. The The twist halfway through the the thief is one of the best narrative twists I've ever read. And then in the second book, The Queen of Atolia, he gets caught again sneaking around the queen of the next door country's palace. And the queen is like, what if I cut off one of your hands? What can you steal with one hand? And the answer is nothing. You can't steal anything with one hand. Um, and so Except he- for a handful of Skittles. <laughs> With just the one, just Jeff, the one hand. What, <laughs> Jeff? What? <laughs> and so, the only way I'm going to move forward is by pretending I haven't heard anything. And so, and this is like the opening of this book: is this queen cutting off Eugenides's hand, Intense. and he goes into a deep depression uh, that is, in fact, so deep he doesn't realize that his own queen is waging war mm-hmm. because she's real mad that his hand got cut off. But then, <laughs> so the the book opens with this very like, and I'm listening to the audiobook right now, and all of all of the Atolians have these like cut glass British villain accents, and so you you have you know this very like a woman a queen who's never had so much as like a strand of hair out of place in her life because her father was assassinated and she ended up poisoning her fiance so that she could take the throne and she rules her country with an iron fist and is you know she she hangs people upside down outside her palace walls to keep the peace and then you watch her completely unravel over the course of this book like you 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 start it and you're like i think we should put her in a sack and throw her in the river and by the end of the book you are like 
that is my poor little meow meow. Like I love it when that happens. Because first of all, you see her become obsessed over this thief. Like she's constantly asking her her spy chief, like, mm-hmm. how is he doing? Did his wound get infected? What is he up to? This is just normal political interest. He's of very course. dangerous. And I just want to know what's happening to him. Of course. Of course. And it sounds like he can still steal something. Her heart. And as as painful as it is for me to admit this, Jeff, it's true. He oh. can also steal various other things with one hand, including an entire nation's navy and also high-ranking ministers of various neighboring kingdoms. And some popcorn. I mean, likely. Are you hungry? No, but I'm just, you know. <laughs> so, and then for the next several books, you get to continue... First of all, I mean, like when we talk about like women being insane, mm-hmm. Atolia kind of goes insane over Eugenides. But here's the thing. Literally everyone who's ever read the Queen's Thief books also goes insane over Eugenides. I want to study this guy in a lab. Like he is one of the most protagonists of all time. Um, and I, I, it's so hard to explain unless you've read the books. We have all of them, dear listener. Come by to your friendly Ferndale Area District Library. Um I will give them all to you and I will be so happy. Um, But (laughs) I just love that she is this ruthless woman who becomes undone, not in an undermining way Mm -hmm. over her own actions and over like this. What who would win a ruthless queen who is very used to ordering people murdered Mm -hmm. or one one thief with one one hand <laughs> or one goose atolia would kill a goose atolia would win between atolia and a goose atolia would win oh wow yeah that's that exactly can boast that. exactly okay, this and this tells you I need to know this tells her. you something and so it's really fun to watch her over the course of these books <laughs> like still get to be this ruthless powerful self-possessed woman and also sometimes she does things that are wrong and sometimes eugenides the thief is like that's hot though <laughs> so wow. queen's thief series everyone queen's thief series wow megan wallen turner i support it yeah it changed uh, again changed something in my brain I'm just smiling so big because I just have to read the series. I have now. a pair of earrings that reminds me of her because she had like a pair of ruby earrings is kind of central to the plot of the second book. Mm. And I found a very nice pair of garnet earrings and I was like, I enjoy dressing like book characters I love. Yes. So now whenever I need to frighten people, yes. I wear my very big red garnet earrings. This is bladed. I was going to sneak in while we were still actually talking about Jane Eyre, but I'm always careful when I discuss that Bronte book, Jane Eyre. Because mm-hmm. I like to err on the side of caution. Oh, God. So, I'm going to talk Roddy, about... Someone else. The Wife of Bath. The Wife of Bath. The Canterbury Tales by Chaucer. The Good Wife, as she is so called. Yes. I read The Canterbury Tales my sophomore year of college, and I fell in love with yep. this woman so hard because... She just, I have to censor myself really what, quick. What did you say to me earlier today? next to the wife of Bath's name in my notes is real hot girl. <clears throat> Anyone familiar with the musical stylings of Megan the Stallion? We'll know what, what follows that. Listen, the wife of Bath was the first hot girl. She was. She, she, so she's called the wife of Bath because she's been married so many times. Mm-hmm. And she is joining them on this a pilgrimage to this holy place I haven't read Canterbury. this Canterbury. Yes. <laughs> Literally called the Canterbury Tales. It's like it's in the title or something. I don't know. Anyway, so, and as they are, like, on their journey, they stop somewhere and everybody's like, you know, it's good for this. Let's just sit around and tell a bunch of stories. And she's like, oh, I got a good one well, for y'all. And it's the, it's the pub, it's the landlord in London who's mm-hmm. like, free meal to whoever tells the best story. Exactly. And nobody, this is why you, dear listener, are not different or smarter or better than medieval people everybody at the offer free food is like no holds barred i will win this competition boy howdy do i have a story for you there's free food at the end of it and presumably free beer all macbeths are off and you know (laughs) 
the wife of Bath is like, let me tell you about my husband's and which one I would sell for a potato chip. Yes. And then she's like, also, here's a story. And the story itself is actually quite interesting. Um, it is not a comfortable story no. if you're reading it. Basically, a knight in King Arthur's time assaults a woman and he is set to be beheaded, which uh, pretty much immediately. Which and- like... I don't believe in capital punishment, but, but could, also, we get, could we get some of that sweet Yeah, sweet like that conviction. 21st century times. That would be really nice. So it is Queen Guinevere, however, who steps in and is like, basically, we won't kill you. You have a year to figure out what it is that women want. And if you figure it out, you can live. And this guy takes the deal and then very quickly realizes that he has no idea what women want. On account of women be different people. Exactly. And so he keeps asking all these women and they keep giving him different answers. And he's like, oh, crap. They're not, there's not like a monolithic woman. So exactly. what is the answer? And so when it's almost close to the end of his time and he's basically like, yeah, I'm about to die. He comes across this old woman, this old crone who's just like, I can help you out if he's willing to pay. Um, that's that's essentially how that goes. And he's like, you know what? Yeah, sure. Please help me out. And so he takes her with her back to the court. And Guinevere's like, all right, so what is it that all women want? And the answer, I'm going to add on, but the answer that he gives is that what women want is to have sovereignty over their husbands and lovers. Um, which I'm like, oh, okay, well, like I can see all the different lines from that. But... They accept that answer. <laughs> the wife of Bathsher wants sovereignty you know over what? her husbands and lovers. I, I'm going to get to that because there's something that she asked Jesus Christ for at the end of this story that cracks me up every time. Guinevere and the w- the ladies of the court are like, yes. And then the knight then has to pay the crone back. And she's just like, oh, yeah, you got to marry me. And he's like, I could give you money. Do you want jewelry? Would you like a cake? And she's like, she's like no, you're nope. going to marry me. <laughs> and he's like... Okay, so he's being real. I think at one point, I think he's like, I wish I had just taken the death penalty. Exactly, which, you know, drama much. But (laughs) he is real sad. You know, they get married and he has to hold on to his word because, you know, like everybody knows. Chivalry or whatever. Yeah. And which, he, like, you would think would cover not assaulting people, but fine. Yeah, well, I guess know, that's why they were going to kill him. They were going to get him out of there. So he's being all pouty and stuff like that. And she's like, well, you know what? I can do two things. I can be hot and unfaithful, or I can be me and be good to you. And then he says something that does show some character growth, I guess, where he's like, do whatever you think is best. I made that sound way more sarcastic than it is. That's just my it's voice. It's more he throws his hands up and he's like, I'm done. I'm done. Just please. Oh, God. Do whatever Somebody you want. else choose things. And she's like, right answer. And she becomes both hot and and good to him, which is more than he deserves, to be honest. Much more. And the wife of Bath ends this speech with husbands, Jesus Christ, please give women that are husbands that are meek, young, and fresh abed. And I'm like, once again, real hot girl stuff because she's so funny. And she's so right. And she's also one of few women who actually get to tell a story. And hers is one of the longest. Once again, her introduction. Her prologue is her, so long that one of the fellow pilgrims is like, Jesus Christ, Allison, get yeah, on like, with the story. Can we wrap and this up? And she's like, shh, I'm talking. Exactly. And she continues to talk. And I love her. And the, I remember I love her, her and her red stockings so well because I feel like when we got to her story in college, all of the like women, non-men in the room were like, she's freaking awesome. And then all of the guys were like, I'm scared. <sighs> That's That happened in my classroom too, because I also read The Wife of Bath's prologue and tale as a sophomore uh, in college in my first medieval literature class. And... I remember there was there was something about so definitely all of all of the like the women or the people who'd been raised as women in the class were like she's my queen right um and and there were there were some I remember there was a I had a classmate who was a guy who was a very nice guy but he said something a little bit clueless about like the dynamics of assault and like post assault kind of right he's like well at least you always like have the the conviction of like 
you didn't do anything wrong or something like that. And everyone was like, Ugh. and our professor was like, no. Okay, Auntie, Auntie Dr. Fox is going to teach you something. Like, she, right. she, was, she was like, we know you didn't mean poorly, but mm-hmm. here's what you need to understand. And it was just like, it was great. It was yes. just, it was a moment where we're like, we were all like, and I, I also remember our professor saying, okay, anyone have any idea about what the red stockings symbolize? And I raised my hand and I said, her force of will. And my professor burst out laughing because she was like, that is the most delicate way I've heard anyone ever phrase that. <laughs> like... <laughs> But it's true. But it's true. It's, it's the, the force podcast of, appropriate it's way. It's the podcast appropriate way. <laughs> read her story. You'll understand. Read her, yeah. But, well, also, I mean, read how she ends it. She's like, listen, I would like young men. I would like hot men. I would like men I can order around. Yes. In and the name of Jesus, amen. Like, hallelujah. <laughs> hallelujah. <laughs> that is her story. And, you know, the thing about that is that, like, there are lots of elements of, like, misogyny in her story. There are references to abuse and things like that. So I don't want to make it seem like she is, like, blanket feminist of our time. But also, for her time, the way she is written, girl. Well, and she's so interesting. Like, that's the thing, is that, like, she also... Because she says that the husband she loved most is the one who smacked her around the most. Right. And in, in the in the moment, you know, now we're like, ooh, problematic. But, right. like, she gets to be that way. Yes. Like, she gets to be like, my name is Allison, I'm from Bath, and I'm messy. Exactly. And, like, I think, like, that's what I love about the women that we're talking about. Because it's the other thing I love about Jane Eyre is, like, yeah, she's convicted, but, like, she's mad. How do you go to that wedding? Like, when she marries Rochester for realsies. Mm-hmm. Say you've been a childhood friend of Jane Eyre and you've been following that whole story along because she keeps texting you or writing you letters Mm -hmm. or whatever. And you finally get that invite and you're like, oh, you're marrying him after all? Right. How do you go to that wedding? Oh, I would be front row. I would be. I mean, like, I would would be front row because I would be like, I got to (laughs) know. I got to see what happens. But, like, I'd be a little judgmental about it. Yeah. Like, I would. Yeah. I'd I'd be throwing the rice at him. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, who's next? I I have some women that I would like to talk Ooh. about. And I just realized that they are both kind of spies. But I'm not going to talk about them both at the same time. Okay. I'll talk about them one at a time. The first is Lady De Winter from Three Musketeers who is uh, effectively kind of a thorn in the side of four sword-wielding men. She's mm-hmm. an effective, like, formidable villain mm-hmm. against the four of them. And she's a spy for Cardinal Richelieu, uh, a strong, independent woman with a tragic and checkered past. <laughs> Just making her way in a man's world and really effectively effectively uh, getting it done. But, yeah, she does have this, like, checkered past where mm-hmm. you... She has a, a substantial backstory where you would understand why she's bitter or conniving or cynical or mm-hmm. sometimes cutthroat or sometimes just doing her best just to survive because she's sent to a convent when she's a teenager. She falls in love with a priest while she's there and they steal some church property mm-hmm. and run off together. But uh, they get caught and she's branded for this thievery. Mm-hmm. She breaks it off with a priest and meets this guy named Athos. Roddy smiles. And uh, Athos is like, hey, I know you've got a checkered past, but I'm going st- to stand by you. This is great. Until he sees the mark on her shoulder and he loses it and sort of tries to hang her, kind of actually does. This is why Athos does not get to be the best musketeer. It goes directly to Porthos. Uh, yes, it does. Yes, <laughs> yes it does. Uh, but I don't know if like his heart isn't fully in it because it doesn't really successfully hang her and she gets away <laughs> and very much like Jane Eyre gets to come back into Athos's life later on with that uh, I bet you thought you'd seen the last of me energy. I love a good I bet you thought you'd seen the last of she, me. She just wrecks him for the rest it's of It's fantastic. Life. She's working for Cardinal Richelieu. She's very effective. She is working on a conspiracy <laughs> against the Duke of Buckingham. The Musketeers very much do not like this. Uh, she uh, she has a kind of a chambermaid and of course our little uh, uh, 
young Chris O'Donnell falls in love with this chambermaid mm-hmm. and Lady De Winter is like, are you are you in love with her? And like kills her to get it back at- It would be a shame Oh my gosh, someone be... <laughs> stabbed her. But tragically, there's a, these are four sword wielding men. And did obviously- Did she stab her or did she run into her knife? It's a fair question. These are four sword wielding men, and it's a man's <laughs> world, and she comes to I a nasty they end. They had muskets. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, how the turns have tables. I love it. I love it. Actually, your mention of the three musketeers uh, has made me think of like one of the OG women's wrongs mm-hmm. Les Liaisons Dangereuses. Yes. 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 Oh my gosh. Okay, Which, like, sorry. hilariously, dear listener, you I might actually... know better as cruel intentions. <laughs> Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, which actually, dear listener, uh, I haven't read the original of yet because it's sitting on my shelf in French, and I keep I keep telling myself, don't read the English translation. You read French, go read mm-hmm. the French version. Um, but the film with Glenn Close and John Malkovich yes. is a work so of good. art. Jen Cl- Glenn Close is women's wrongs. That is women's wrongs, the yes. film. And there's a very good novel that I have read called Unforgivable Love by Sophronia Scott, which resets... Uh, Les Liaisons Dangereuses in 1940s Harlem. Yeah. It, and it's incredible. So basically, line of events, that book, Dangerous Liaisons, Cruel Intentions. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's what, the that's the line. So if, if what what it was, so we jumped from Three Musketeers, which is written in the 1820s. When was this book written? 1800s too? Uh, 18th century, 1700s. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Even older. The French love a woman who be doing wrong things. Are you Indeed. kidding me? All of their stories about women who... I mean... Actually, well, both of the women I have to talk about are French. There, so there's, I mean, there's a, there's a saying in French that femme, which is the word for woman and also wife, rhymes with infam, which is infamy. Yes. So... And, and whenever you see most adaptations of Lady de Winter in Her Musketeers, that's how she's kind of portrayed as a femme fatale. Mm-hmm. Which... Mostly fair, but I don't know. I don't think they really get the nuance of how much uh, uh, crap she had to put up with. So shout no, out, they... shout out, shout out, Lady Winter, come on the podcast. Yes, um, we love you. Cruel Intentions. Yeah, I'm just saying, like that's what Cruel Intentions. Glenn Close, is based off of. Amazing um, actress. Fantastic. Fatal Attraction. All right. <laughs> also, while we're just, just hundred one gonna... Dalmatians. So that's a woman who's wrong you can't support. Yeah, Get out I of mean, here, Disney. I can't. When Don't be trying, trying to kill puppies. With your rehabilitation. Oh, my no. goodness. Get out yeah. of here. Who was your other French woman? Hold on a second, okay. folks. Hold on a second. <laughs> okay. Cruella Intentions. Anyway, I'm going to talk about someone else now since Jeff is doing a victory lap in circles. I'm just kidding. Go ahead. That's all I had. That's your only French woman? It, oh, oh, my, my second French woman? <laughs> yes is Madame Defarge from Tale of Two Cities. Is she the one who has the hit list in her knitting? Yes. She's the one who has the hit list in her knitting. I only know this because of the most recent Save Me From My Shelf episode. Yes. Dear listener, if you enjoy the literary analytic stylings of Roddy and Mary Graham, please go listen to Save Me From My Shelf. Absolutely. Madame Defarge, uh, iconic, burned into my memory for all time. It's so funny that you say that because I don't think anyone would say anything like that about Tell of Two City. <laughs> you know, I beg to differ. We must have run in different crowds because <laughs> the kids over at Ferndale High School went crazy for that book. Are you okay? I mean, uh, if y'all like it, I love it. <laughs> so, this is another woman with a tragic past, a traumatic past. I mean, yeah, she is a character that I'm like, you know what? Even after, like, the Save Me From My Shelf ep- episode where it's like, oh, she just girl boss too hard. Honestly, no, she didn't. She just, her problem was that instead of picking a fight with another man, she picked a fight with a man. She picked a fight with another woman. And that was her fatal mistake. <laughs> Lady De Winter uh, would appreciate an opportunity for some revenge against Athos, but she also wants to get paid, too. She's, mm-hmm. you know, she's. Got a good. Uh, Don't act like you forgot. Good freelance gig. Exactly. With Pay me Wichelieu. what you owe me. Exactly. Madame Farge, just revenge. Friday. <laughs> sorry, I just Rihanna. Sorry. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Madame Farge, just revenge. Uh, she and her husband co-own 
um, like a wine shop or they've mm-hmm. got, you know, there's a lot of wine all, all over, but they are uh, very proximally close to the Bastille. Mm-hmm. And the street where they operate is just, they are seeing the destitute. They are seeing people starving in the streets. They're getting really radicalized. However, the thing with Madame Defarge is that she was separated from her siblings at a mm-hmm. very young age. You don't find this out until you get to the end of the book, if you can make it through the end of the book. Mm-hmm. She never knew what happened to uh, these two siblings. She finds out that they were basically endangered servants who were uh, abused and then basically abused to death by this noble. And mm-hmm. so she says, well, um, I want revenge. Uh, I'm going to not only go after that noble, I want every one of his descendants dead as well, including Mm -hmm. that damn Charles Darnay and Charles Darnay's wife and their daughter. Mm -hmm. I want them all. Uh, And yeah, so she is like a little spy who's taking notes, basically. She looks like she's... uh, She's got a blank space, baby. (laughs) She'll write your name. She looks inconspicuous, but every she's watching. She's always watching and she's always knitting and it's always like, oh. Uh, And... um, yeah, so Madame Defarge is coming for you, basically. I mean, especially if you're a Darnay. Keeping a lit, creating a knitting pattern so sophisticated that it is in itself a language that you can use to keep a list of everyone's name that you want to murder. Mm-hmm. I do support that woman's I wrongs. I support her Absolutely. so much. I mean, yeah, some of the people on her list, I'm like, mm, that's a child. But <laughs> for the most part, I'm just like, it has listen. that Michael Myers quality where she just wants to come for you no matter what and does not care. So, Man of Varge, uh, shout out, Mike Myers, come on the podcast. Very <laughs> uh, <laughs> good. I have one last woman, all of whose wrongs I support with my whole heart. And this is from a relatively recently published novel, Little Thieves by Margaret Owen, which I just learned last week is going to be the first of a trilogy. And the second book is coming out in May. And oh, I'm so excited. And uh, hopefully I sell you on this woman's wrongs hard enough, dear listener, that you come down to the library and check out our copy of Little Thieves, um, which I like to pitch to people as it is a beautiful day in fantasy Germany and you are a horrible goose girl because it is a retelling of the goose girl story from the perspective of the goose girl who gets <laughs> who switches places with the princess this is now a goose podcast and she switches <laughs> where is the pig puppet i want more chaos <laughs> well luckily so does a girl named vanya schmidt heck yeah uh who is uh the the goose girl of this narrative who has been uh, a servant to um, it, it's it's fantasy Germany, so it's got it's got the German nobility system, and I can't remember who anyone is. Um, but, but basically, she's the servant to a princess named Giselle, and it's class war hours over here in fantasy Germany because you know Vanya grows up with Giselle. Personally, they are very close, but Giselle's parents are terrible, and this girl gets treated terribly. Vanya gets treated terribly because she's just a servant, so what does she matter? And Giselle's mother uh, is desperate for her to make a good marriage, gets her this enchanted string of pearls that makes her look hotter, basically. Uh, and one day Giselle is like, you know, I, I hate all of this. I, I don't want any of it. I don't I don't want to be a princess. I don't want to to do any of this or have to marry any of these, you know, terrible men. And Vanya's like, is that so? And steals the pearls and puts them on and becomes the hot version of Giselle and basically takes her place. All the while, she is running a long con called Jewel Theft. And so she is basically using these pearls to be two people. Uh, to be her own maidservant, which looks like her real self, mm-hmm. and then hot version of Giselle. And then real Giselle is somewhere off, like, she doesn't know what's happened to her. She's actually hanging out in an orphanage, helping take care of kids. Um, but eventually, Vanya girl bosses too close to the sun with some of these jewel thefts, which she's trying to rack up a certain amount so she can leave the country. Um, and uh, a, a, a prefect, an investigator, uh, who is described as looking like a bunch of uh, billiard cues unionized to solve crimes. <laughs> and that's when I knew this was going to be one of my favorite novels. Uh, he comes in and uh, he's on to her. And uh, she gets cursed by a forest goddess. You know, that is the thing that happens. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of balls in the air. 
you know, because she she's cursed to become what she's always wanted, which is basically a pile of jewels, unless she fixes all the hurt that she's done. But she's like, I've never done anything wrong in my life ever. And you, the reader, are like, that seems fair mm-hmm. because all of these rich people suck. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, the author does a very impressive job of keeping all those balls in the air and resolving them. One by one by one. And then by the end, you have this cool quartet of Vanya, real Giselle, who has actually quite enjoyed not being a princess, Conrad, who is the unionized billiard cues, and and the daughter of the forest god who cursed Vanya. They're all besties. Love that. And some of them are lesbians. And see, that's the whole thing. Because these... Because these rich people suck. That's how I can support Lady, oh. Lady de Winter because Athos kind of sucks. Man of Defarge, uh, the revolution. These people suck. You want to know who also falls into line with this? Who is the last person on my list? Tituba. Oh, interesting. Let's talk. Okay, so I love her. Um, literary Tituba. Literary I just, Tituba. I just feel the distinction because yes. so many people think that Arthur Miller wrote a history. No, Arthur Miller just wrote a really compelling play. Yes. And so, you know, I just, I'm sorry, I have so many feelings about her, but a lot of what I'm going to talk about is from a book called Ayatituba, <laughs> Witch of Salem, Black Witch of Salem um, by Maurice Condé. It's originally written in uh, French. It also won the, I just found out the like grand prize for women's fiction in the 80s when it was released, because it's that good. But basically, Maurice Condé was like, mm, Tituba, the slave who's, you know, kind of one of the centerfolds of the conflict in this story. What if I just wrote about her story? Because isn't it something that she's the first accused and also one of the only people to survive? I wonder how that happened. She survives by confessing because, I mean, my note next to her name is, who has not danced naked with the devil <laughs> in Midnight of the yeah, Sabbath? Calm down, elders of Salem Village. Literally. <laughs> They who among us? Who among us? Among us. So cast the first stone at Giles Corey. Oh, more weight, more weight, Jeff. That character really made an impression. Giles Corey was one of my favorites too, so I don't even know what to say to this right now. I'm just gonna keep talking. Um, but I'm just like I think reminding I'm... myself of the synopsis of this story. But you know, she's born to an enslaved woman on Barbados, um, and you know, in the book, her mother is killed after defending herself against, you know, another white enslaver, which, you know, don't need too much more context to understand what's going on there. She manages to get free and then does something that drove me insane when I read the book, which is that she marries an enslaved man and therefore returns to bondage for his sake. He doesn't even deserve it and i was about to say he is not worth it is he absolutely not and then they are then sold to the clergyman in um salem so that's how she ends up there and she was sort of raised by an herbalist as well who taught her a lot of the arts and things of that nature herbalist sounds witchy exactly so (laughs) that is that is like her background and the way that she survives in the book is by confessing to her crimes but that is not the part that gets me after she escapes because she's sold off somewhere else. And then, you know, she, you know, escapes because, well, her her newest owner sets her free because of certain machinations that honestly aren't even her doing anything wrong. Just terrible things happen. He's given up on life. So she goes back to the islands and she finds her way to like the Maroons and she shacks up with their leader and they are planning a rebellion against white enslavers when unfortunately they are caught. However, what she does is after they kill her, she goes to the spirit realm and then she spends the rest of eternity inspiring revolts and revolutions as a spirit of revenge. Wow. That is in a force of nature. If she's going to die, that's the best possible ending. And you know what? I read this book in like 2018. I read it post-college and I was just like, absolutely yes. Honestly, if you ask me, she's done no wrongs, but I was sure that if I reread the book, I would be like, mm, maybe that was in fact a crime. <laughs> she did tell lies but that maybe got people killed. technicality. Yeah, you know, like, 
you know, maybe she was the reason why some of the Puritans got accused and murdered because she was like, I am here for me and me only. I got to put me first, but which I respect. Maybe they shouldn't have stolen land and or people. Has anyone ever thought of that? Yeah. So you know what? She really did nothing wrong, but she is once again one of she goes in the line of these people that we are talking about. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I support her so heartedly, so wholeheartedly. And I love her. And two of the books Mary Graham talked about, they were were thieves. Mm -hmm. Two of the books I talked about, spies. Mm -hmm. In all the books you've talked about, it's it has that angle of were were crimes really even committed? Yeah, uh, I am just like you know I fully believe that no crimes are committed in the making of this movie. For every single one it's of just, them. It, the whole thing makes me, because of course I'm sitting here thinking like, well, you know, if no crimes are committed, then why are we, why, why is there this sense of like, you know, still women's wrongs? And it makes me think about the uh, dearly departed beloved podcast, the Dead Authors podcast, uh, which uh, was a rotating cast of comedians interviewed um by and of course now I can't remember which comedian it was interviewed by the same comedian as H.G. Wells mm-hmm. the idea is that H.G. Wells had his time machine mm-hmm. uh, Paul F. Tompkins um, and Paul F. Tompkins as H.G. Wells would, would pick up dead authors in his time machine and interview them and my very favorite episode of this podcast is the one with the guy who wrote James Bond um, Ian Ian Fleming Fleming <laughs> And, said and the, refi- the repeated, the repeated refrain of Ian Fleming throughout this podcast is, well, you know, I don't like women. And so, <laughs> because Ian Fleming definitely did not. And so every so often when I'm like, but that's, but no crimes were committed in the making of this movie. So why, why do we think about these women as having done wrong? And it's like, well... We don't like women. Because they're women. Socially. No, because no, they're women. we simply don't. It's it's very much rooted in misogyny because once again with these characters, like once again back to Miranda Priestley, who we used as an earlier example, she is just a powerful woman who, yes, she does make some mistakes. Like, Cleopatra. Sure Cleopatra. These are just powerful just women. women. They are just women with power and dominion over men. And right. and I'm I'm not the kind of person because sometimes, you know, when you talk about the history of say like European royal or, or something, people will say, "Oh, it's not, you know, was she in was she a te- was she a woman who did bad things? It's, you know, uh did did men do the same bad things?" And often I'm like, "Yes, and they should all feel bad about it." Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I, I don't think that Elizabeth burning Catholics or Mary burning Protestants is like, hashtag girl boss. Yes. I'm and- like, stop executing people. But but at the same time, in stories, I mean, I think that's why there's some satisfaction to being like, oh, this woman did nothing wrong, mm-hmm. especially when it's fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, just to end on the note of uh, a musical that we mentioned earlier, where I'm like, actually, this woman did many things wrong, but it's a lot of fun to watch. Right, Chicago. Chicago. Like, those, the the two protagonists of that musical commit intimate partner murder, Mm -hmm. um, which is a bad thing, but the songs are really catchy. Yes. And it's about a media circus and a corrupt legal system Mm -hmm. that is very, like, Go girl. Exactly. Give us everything. That is very much like we are going to look past this actually quite quite serious wrong. Because driving a nice pick through your husband's head is not a proportional response to him cheating on you with your sister. It simply is not. But it's very good theater. It's fantastic theater. Sorry, listener, I stared off into the middle distance. Yeah, Ronnie for a hot second was like <laughs> And then I was like, no, no, bring it back down. Mary Graham is right. But also Jeff, there's this thing that happens with a lot of like modern media too that I want to kind of keep in mind. And listener, when you watch something and you feel like you really are irritated by a character who's a woman and you're just like, oh, I can't stand her. I really want people to sort of examine why that is. Like, is there something actually inherently wrong with her as a character? If this character were not a woman, would you be just as bothered by her? If the character is a woman of color, if she were not a woman of color, would you be just as bothered by her? Because what we see very often is that there are these characters who are, you know, just women just existing in these conditions and just doing their best, possibly making mistakes. And they are vilified for Mm. it as if they are some great 
great evil. And it drives me up the wall every time that I see it. And I can think of like, I'm thinking of like, you know, comic book movies and things like that off the top of my head and shows along those lines. But I'm just like, but why do you hate her? And Mm -hmm. is it that she just has strong convictions? Is it that she's in impossible circumstances and is making mistakes right now? And why is that such a crime? (laughs) It's the misogyny. It is 100% misogyny. And I just, so that's when I also say I support women's wrongs. I'm just like, I support women's right to be wrong in very high intense stressful situations because these characters Yes, they are fictional characters, but they are there to portray humanity or to be analogous to humanity. And humans make mistakes all the damn time. So be kinder. <laughs> yeah. Madame Defarge got angry. Uh, Late into winter, just trying to survive. And all of my folks are like, I simply think I should be able to rule a country and or commit class war with impunity. That's fair. And... I support them. The wife of Beth just wants a young, hot husband. I mean, toast among us. Himbo stinger. Are we actually going to get a himbo stinger or are you just going to say it every time we need one? <laughs> I don't know what would be funnier. I think for the sake of copyright infringement, I don't, I'm not allowed to actually have one. So we'll just have a nice little three seconds of silence after my himbo stingers. Maybe we'll fill one in if we get permission. Honestly, I just want you to say the words himbo stinger in the most like plain monotonous tone like when we had to uh record a a voiceover for a recent youth department video we did Mm -hmm. yeah just just himbo stinger himbo stinger (laughs) uh i don't want to like stir the pot or spill the pot even though we only have like a few minutes left but like Oh, you're about to choose violence, aren't you? I just, I was trying to think about the white witch from Narnia. Oh, I no. Okay. No. <laughs> Two different responses. No. Okay, I have to. I'm because, so glad I did this. So here's the thing. I have such an affection for her because when I was in the <laughs> sure, 10th grade. but you can't girl boss Jadis out of her crimes. No, I'm not going to do that. So what I was doing in 10th grade was I got an assignment to essentially write fan fiction. And they were like, I want you to take a scene from a book and write it from the perspective of a, of a character who's, you know, not the main point of view of the book. So I picked the White Witch and I picked the meeting with Aslan right before the stone table shenanigans and it was so much fun you know i i just have to say that she is a force of evil she is a villain she does wrongs but only because they let her (laughs) mary graham is like mary graham's about to like slam a street light down winter but never christmas roddy she I, turns talking animals into stone. Having worked in retail, I would be fine if it were never Christmas ever again. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I love you know, Christmas. Our, our, I genuinely love Christmas. I'm so li- I'm just lying. Listeners, um, listeners should know that our, our director just walked by the booth outside. And had she stopped in and asked what we were doing, I would have said Narnia business. <laughs> it keeps getting worse. She's wrong, Mary Graham. I know that she's wrong. But if I were in power trying to secure my power and this little boy was like, I will sell all three of my siblings for a tin of Turkish delights. Yes. Thanks, small child. <laughs> Thank you. you. Folks, Mary Graham is reacting. It's just all facial expression. <laughs> I am also just being incendiary for no reason. No, I know. I know. Because it's I, so much fun. I just want like, this is how you want to leave the pod. No, it's not. The biggest fight of our friendship. <laughs> It's okay. Listen, can we do another follow up episode? Actually, if this? there was a character that we wanted to talk about in terms of Narnia and the quote unquote wrongs, it would be Susan. Susan. So I had to get my jokes about the White Witch off, but like Susan, C.S. Lewis, you will see me in the afterlife. In the I'm world c- to come, Jack, I'm hunting you down because you are wrong. And the way that you wrote her allowed so many misogynistic men to use her as some sort of like beacon of just ridiculousness and it is all of your of, fault of women be shopping and wearing lipstick and that's why they're never going to see the face of god and which is not what lewis meant no but because that's not the kind of thing you should write into the end of your children's book series jack that's what a lot of people interpreted it as exactly and susan this is why genuinely... i have to deal with philip pullman jack susan did nothing wrong 
And Susan was just having an all honesty. I know that people have their qualms about how this is used. A trauma response to, I don't know. You try being through- a woman ruling a country and then you become a child. You get your period a second time. Exactly. I would die. I, you know, I... And then also the fact that when she becomes a queen, her beauty is used for bargaining so much. So she is literally like that is made the force of like her power, her ability as a ruler is in her beauty and what they can negotiate because of that. So of course, if you force her to go through a second puberty and she has seen that the way that she holds power is by bargaining by way of her beauty, She's going to do it all over again. Everyone, please go read The Light Between Worlds by Laura E. Weymouth, friend of the podcast who we have interviewed, because Laura understands. Laura understands Susan. She understands Lucy. She understands what C.S. Lewis was going for. That was a swing and a miss, Jack. And she understands that. The Light Between Worlds, please, for my sake. (laughs) I'm staring into the distance because I'm mad all over again because Susan deserved better. And with that, dear listener, I have to go do a desk shift. And they're going to say, Mary Graham, why were you late for your desk shift? And I'm going to say, Roddy picked a fight about the Chronicles of Narnia. I started the fight. I really apologize. No, it's fine. I just, I know how Mary Graham feels about the White Witch. And I was like, hi, here's my chance. You were like, my name is Roddy. And today, in the spirit of the podcast, I choose violence. I choose violence. The characters that were all referenced are in books. And we'll have a list of the books in the show notes of, uh, on our website. So, you know, just, uh. Thanks. Come see us. Come get the books. You can also come here physically and check out Tale of Two Cities because I know you've always wanted to read that. I know. Uh, so thanks for listening to another episode of A Little Too Quiet, the Ferndale Library podcast brought to you by the Friends of the Ferndale Library. Thank you to John Duffy for giving us music. Thank you to my guests, Roddy and Mary Graham. Thanks. Always a pleasure. And uh, remember to rate, view, subscribe, and leave a comment. And uh, we'll be back next week with more. And as always, Himbo Stinger. So the chicken keeps going back to the library. Listen, listen.